It is good to be with you here at Horizon again. And as Steve has said, my name is Dave Armstrong, uh, Area Director with Man in the Mirror. I'm glad to have my wife Becky with me today. She's over here. Wave your hand. There you go. Hooray. Man in the Mirror is a national ministry founded over 30 years ago by the man by the name of Pat Morley. And the vision of Man in the Mirror is to help every church to disciple every man. If you haven't noticed, we have a man problem in our society today. And we can trace that problem to a lack of discipleship. And we believe that's really the solution to the man problem. Help every man to understand who Jesus is and have a personal relationship with him. And then to grow in that relationship in his walk with God. And so what we do at Man in the Mirror is that we come alongside churches and help leaders develop a discipleship pathway for their men. A way that they can help their men move closer to Christ in their relationship with God. An intentional approach to discipleship. And key to that in what we do is a model that we call No Man Left Behind. And No Man Left Behind is just simply this. It's a, a series of effective ministry principles in a man context, proven principles. And we help churches understand what those principles are and how to apply them to their men. Yesterday, we did a training in the No Man Left Behind model. First time Man in the Mirror has done a national training uh, by video simulcast. We had 14 host sites all across the country, literally from Maine to California, over 270 men, pastors, men's leaders at dozens of churches that were a part of this training. And so we're excited about that, uh, the opportunity to help churches. See, we believe something that Pat Morley uh, said years ago. He, he said this, he said, the spirit usually works best in people who know what they are doing. <laughs> Isn't that true? And so we want to help pastors and men's leaders know what they are doing when it comes to men's discipleship. We've also developed a resource that we've come out in the last past year called Go. It's a Go box. We call it. It's called Go Jumpstart Your Ministry to Men. And uh, it's an, attempt, an, an attempt to help churches, again, intentionally disciple their men. Uh, we recently did a survey of pastors and asked, you know, what are the biggest issues that you're facing when it comes to men's discipleship? And the four top things that they told us was this, is how do we engage men spiritually? How do we get them interested in spiritual things? Secondly, how do I develop a team of men who can help me to disciple the men in my church? Thirdly, how can I train those men to be effective in discipleship? And then fourthly, how can we pull, pull off a successful men's event? And the Go Box answers all four of those things. So in nine short weeks, a church can develop a leadership team, train them in some of the core principles of the No Man Left Behind model, do a successful men's event, and then engage men afterwards in discipleship by a four-week uh, small group study. And so that's kind of what we do at Man in the Mirror. I've got a table out in the back. There's some resources out there. We've got a go box, some other things that are out there. Please feel free to take a look at them. If you're interested in any of those resources, I'll be around. Speak to me. Uh, there's an article out there that I've reproduced called No Man Fails on Purpose. It's a great little story, true story, that really encapsulates why we do what we do in discipling men, why it's so important. I've got several copies of it out there. You're welcome to take that home 
uh, and read it. It's a great little story um, that you'll find helpful. There's also out there a sign-up sheet if you like my ministry newsletter. We come out with an email letter about every other keep you updated on what we do, share with you some prayer requests that you can be in prayer for the ministry. We greatly appreciate if you would join our prayer team, and that's all there for you. So enough of the advertisements. Let's get into the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the book of Ephesians. I encourage you to take your Bibles. I'm not going to have it up on the screen, uh, the text this morning. So we're going to make you work a little bit. If you brought your Bible, great. If not, uh, there are some Bibles there. I should be right around uh, where you're sitting. I encourage you to take and find Ephesians chapter 6. That'll be our text this morning, verses 18 to 20. And while you're finding that, let's pause for a word of prayer. And Father, as we come into your word this morning, I want to thank you for the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to us at your hand, truth that you have placed in our hands today, wisdom, insight, knowledge. In this book, Lord, you reveal to us the gospel, that which we've sung about this morning, and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And as we turn our attention to your word right now, Lord, may you speak to us. Help me to adequate, clearly explain, expound your word. And Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Youngest <clears throat> daughter is named Megan. She's still at home. She's 22. She uh, works full-time. She's going to school part-time to earn a degree. Uh, she's doing really well. She has a dog. And, and some of you are laughing because you probably know that if you have somebody in your household that has a dog who's 22, it doesn't curtail their social life at all. It means that you just get the opportunity to watch the dog, right? <laughs> and so we get a chance to do a lot with, with Layla. That's the dog's name. Now, it's my first foray in having a dog, so maybe this is common, I don't know. But every time that we bow our heads to pray for a meal, Layla goes into what we think is a dog prayer. She, she runs around real quickly in circles, chasing her tail. She'll do it from the time we bow our head to the time we say amen, and then she'll stop. We didn't train her to do that. We didn't encourage her to do that. She just does that on her own. Now, it may be that she's smart enough to figure out that when we say amen, we start to eat, and when we're done eating, she gets to eat. But I like to think she's spiritual, and that's just the way the dog prays. <laughs> you ever feel that way about your prayer life? It seems like when you're praying, it's just like you're just spinning around in circles, doesn't seem to really get you anywhere. You're not making a lot of progress. It comes to prayer. You're praying the same things. You're going through the same routine. If that's you this morning, it may be, it just may be that the problem is that you have a lack of purpose when you pray. We want to look at that this morning. Our text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 20. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It reads like this, And pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. And pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Those are some powerful words that Paul gives. And it's said in a context. And I don't think we really get the full impact of the words of our text unless we understand the context and the words that go just before it. Paul addresses this Ephesian church and he talks about what we sometimes refer to as spiritual armor, the armor of God, spiritual warfare. And so allow me to read the verses that precede our text this morning. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. See, Paul wraps up his letter to the Ephesians, and he concludes with these thoughts. That which he wants to motivate his parting words to the believers here at Ephesus and by extension to us, the challenge that he presents. And it's a challenge to take up the armor of God and to pray. And he makes it clear that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've opened your heart and life to him, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his, whether you realize it or not, when Jesus Christ came into your life, you were enlisted in a spiritual battle. And Paul describes it here as the devil. Later on, he calls him the evil one. Uh, this one whose intention is to kill and to steal and to destroy, who wants to defeat you, discourage you, dissuade you, make you ineffective in your walk with God. You're in a spiritual battle. You've got an enemy who's trying to hunt you down. And in the context of that, Paul says, pray and pray in the spirit. Pray. It's a continuation of spiritual warfare. That little, those little two little words, and pray in our text. It, in the Greek grammar, we call that an attendant circumstance. It means simply this. It's the circumstance under which the action takes place. Put on the full armor of God, and while you're doing it, pray. There's an old gospel hymn that went something like this. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with 
prayer. That's what Paul's saying. A friend of mine says it this way. He says, prayer is the most underutilized weapon that we have in our spiritual arsenal. Pray. But if we're honest, all too often for us, isn't it? Prayer is an afterthought. It's a last resort. After I've done everything else and exhausted everything else, I'll pray. We're kind of like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. When we should have been praying, we're sleeping. And I don't know about you, but all too often my prayers, they seem rather weak and anemic. Paul illustrates spiritual warfare with a Roman soldier, a heavily armed infantryman. And he takes the gear that that soldier worn and he relates each piece of it to spiritual warfare. And that soldier was a fearsome sight. He, he was in his day the best trained, the best equipped, the best protected. He had the latest technology of the era that he had with him when he went to war. He was a fearsome sight. And yet when Paul runs down all the various comparisons to spiritual warfare, when he wants to talk about prayer, when he wants to talk about this thing of power in prayer, there isn't anything in the Roman soldier's arsenal that he could compare it to. He simply says in prayer. In Exodus chapter 17, Joshua fights the Amalekites and he's down in the valley fighting the Amalekites with the army of Israel and Moses is up on the hilltop and the scripture says that Moses had lifted his hands up and when Moses' hands were lifted up, the Israelites were winning. Moses got tired and began to lower his hands. The Amalekites were winning. And Aaron came alongside Moses and they held up his hands before God and the Israelites that day won a great battle. And in Exodus chapter 17, at the conclusion of all that, we read these words, And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of God. You see, that's prayer. And it underscores the power of prayer. That our prayers are powerful when our prayers are purposeful. In our text, prayer is mentioned six different times in those three short little verses. There's an urgency with which Paul speaks to us in this matter, this thing of prayer. What does it mean to pray with purpose? That's what I want to share with you this morning. Praying with purpose, what does it mean? Notice with me, first of all, that praying with purpose is prayer that is spiritual. Prayer that is spiritual and pray in the spirit. What does that mean? Apparently it wasn't too complicated for the Ephesians. Paul didn't have to explain it. He simply said pray in the spirit. Apparently they understood it clearly enough. It's not, I don't believe, some ecstatic utterance. He's not saying you need to pray in some kind of tongue. To pray in the spirit, you could translate it like this, pray by means of the Spirit, by the help of the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit direct you in your praying. Let Him guide you in your praying. Let Him give you the words when you pray. 
previous chapter, chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, to be influenced by the Spirit, to be directed by the Spirit. And we're to take that filling of the Spirit and bring it on into prayer. The contemporary English version translates and pray in the Spirit like this, and pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. F.B. Meyer says this about our text. To pray in the Spirit is to let the Spirit pray in you. Pray in the Spirit. Why do we need to do that? Why is that so important? Why does Paul stress that? That our prayers are to be spiritual prayers. Because quite frankly, we are so prone to pray in the flesh. See, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul uh, says this. Listen to the words of Paul. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. You see, not only is there an external spiritual battle going on between us and the forces of the evil one, there's an internal spiritual battle that is going on between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. They are opposed to each other, contrary to one another. And the flesh can't see what the Spirit sees. That's why we need to be praying in the Spirit. We need to see with spiritual eyes, spiritual reality, because all too often we're dull in our spiritual sight. And we end up praying fleshly, self-centered kind of prayers. Do we pray in the Spirit? Do you pray in the Spirit? Do you find yourself asking for things in prayer, saying things in prayer that you almost catch yourself saying, where did that come from? I didn't go to prayer with that intention in mind. That thought wasn't there before I started praying. That can be an indication that you're praying in the Spirit. The Spirit is directing and leading as you pray. I've had occasions where I can identify that as a case. Not frequently enough, mind you, but occasions where I can identify that. One that comes to mind a number of years ago, I was uh, working uh, as a FedEx uh, delivery person down in uh, Delaware deliveries and pickups. Uh, I was in a shopping center making my deliveries and pickups. I was in a 24-foot straight truck. And uh, I had to deliver a lot of these around the front. They don't sometimes allow you to deliver around the back in shopping centers. And so you want to get in and get out quickly. There's just a whole, too much foot traffic and other things happening. You don't want to be stuck in there with a big straight truck. You get in, you get out. And so I'm making the delivery and I'm going into a Burlington Coat Factory down in uh, Delaware, Newark, Delaware, and out comes, out comes this, this dad and his daughter, and I walked past them, and immediately I felt this, this urge to pray. I don't normally do that when I'm rushing around and rubbing shoulders with people throughout the day, but it was clear. It, it, was, it was this burden to pray for this child. I had no idea. I'd never seen them before, never seen them since, no idea what was going on, but I knew I had to pray. And so as I'm making my deliveries, I'm praying, and I'm praying whatever the Spirit brings to mind, praying for physical protection for that child, praying for spiritual protection for that child and for that parent, praying that they would come to know Jesus. As the Lord directed, I prayed. It's praying in the Spirit. Say, so how do you do that? I mean, you see, our flesh 
tends to express its desires, its will, its intentions, its wants. But to pray in the Spirit is instead to pray what the Spirit desires, what the Spirit wills, what the Spirit wants, what the Spirit's intentions are. So how do we pray in the Spirit? Well, I think it takes, one, a close walk with God. Uh, you can't pray in the Spirit and have God at an arm's length from you. It's as we walk close to God, as we spend time with Him in the Word and in prayer, as we draw near to Him and He draws near to us. It takes a listening ear to pray in the Spirit, to quiet ourselves, so that we hear that still, small voice of God who gently, so many times, kind of prods us, moves us to pray. I think one great way to pray in the Spirit is to pray the Word of God. It's God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God for us. It's the Spirit's words given to us. And as we take those words and pray them back to God, that's also prayer in the Spirit. Listen to how Paul prays. Turn over a couple of pages, the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul has a couple of wonderful prayers in the book of Ephesians. This one in particular, chapter 1, verse 17. Here's how he prays for the, the saints at Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power to us who believe. Is that how you pray? <laughs> I tell you, all too often, not how I pray. But when we pray prayers like that and pray them back to God for ourselves and for others, prayer in the Spirit. Spirit-led, Spirit-directed prayers. You see, God is a purposeful God, and a purposeful God will move us to pray purposeful things. If we're going to pray with purpose, we have to pray prayers that are spiritual, led by the Spirit. Notice with me, secondly, that praying with purpose is also this. It's prayer that is continual, continual. You see, a mark of spirit-led prayer is prayer that, that has a continuous nature about it. There's that kind of constant connection with God. This kind of sense of a God consciousness as we go throughout the day. Jesus demonstrated it in his earthly ministry. And we would read in the Gospels and we see there are times when he would get up a great while before day to pray. Or he would pray late at night. Or he would pray all night long. And even as he's going about doing his ministry from day to day, interacting with people, there are times that we read in the Gospels that right in the midst of it he would pause and he would pray to God. There was that kind of constant connection and, and that we need to have when it comes to prayer. In Acts chapter 1, we... Read about those early believers after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, before the day of Pentecost, they're gathered together in the upper room. And we read in Acts chapter 1 that they were constantly in prayer. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we are to pray without ceasing. This kind of continual prayer. That's what Paul urges us to do in our text. Notice what it says, verse 18 of Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on 
praying. Grab hold of the purposes of God through the Spirit of God as you pray, and then don't let go. You keep on praying on all occasions so that every opportunity is an opportunity for prayer. All kinds of prayer, he says. Whether it's public prayers or private prayers or silent prayers or audible prayers or prayers of thanksgiving or prayers of request or prayers of confession, or spontaneous prayers. Pray. And then he says, and always keep on praying. Always. Literally, you could translate that, be strong towards prayer. It has the thought of persevering in prayer, of not giving up in prayer. If the same word is used in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, be devoted to prayer. A soldier today, when he's out on the battlefield, when he's out on patrol, he's virtually in constant contact with his superior officer. They'll have a radio in their ear. They'll have a body camera on. There's this kind of constant communication that goes back and forth, back and forth. And Paul says, when we engage in spiritual warfare, when we go about day-to-day life seeking to live a life that's pleasing to God, we need to be in constant prayer, connected with Him. How's your prayer life? Persistent? Unceasing? Unwearied prayer? Is it prayer that is earnest prayer? The contemporary English version takes that expression, always keep on praying, and translates translates it like this, never stop praying. Jesus told the parable in Luke 18 about the, the widow and the unjust judge, and Luke tells us the purpose why Jesus told the parable. He says, it's so that men would always pray and not give up. Prayer that is continual. So why do we do that? To prove our spirituality? So that we can walk around with our chest kind of puffed out. Look at me, I'm praying. I pray morning, noon, and night. I'm always in prayer. Just the opposite. When you realize you're up against the adversary, the devil who's breathing down your neck, who wants to defeat you in your walk with God, it brings you to the point of utter dependence on God. It's to say, I'm weak in and of my own self. I'm so prone to give in to temptation. I so much need the grace of God in my life. I so much need to be reminded of the gospel and my need for that gospel every single day. That's why the prayer is constant. Isn't that a reason why the church in America in the 21st century seems to be increasingly prayerless? Is because We've lost our sense of a need for God. We have all the comforts of the world around us, all the material pleasures and blessings, a life of ease comparative to the rest of the world. Even though our societies become increasingly intolerant of Christians, I doubt any of us has even faced anything that even approaches persecution. Certainly not what we read around the world where there are believers who are, being, who are suffering for their faith and dying for their faith. Why 
Oh, we need a glimpse of how much we need God, of how dependent we need to be upon Him. Our prayers will take renewed purpose when they do. We will be praying not just spiritual prayers, but continual prayers. And there's a third and final thing I want to share with you in this passage of Scripture. That praying with purpose is lastly prayer that is relational. It is prayer that is relational. And always keep on praying for all the saints. See, prayer is not just about us. I mean, I don't know about you, I'm pretty good about praying for things for myself. I have no problem with a list of things that I want to pray for that concern myself. But prayer isn't just about us. You see, we don't battle alone. In this matter of spiritual warfare, there are no such things as spiritual Rambos. You know, the guy who can do it all, doesn't need anybody else. He's got to have the weapons. He's going to go at it and face the enemy no matter how large that force might be. And he's going to defeat them all. There are no such thing as spiritual warfare. You see, the Roman soldier that Paul talks about didn't fight alone. And we can think that way in terms of the context of the text that we have here. When he talks about putting on the spiritual armor, all the various components of it, and we tend to kind of gear in, and well, that's us, and that's what we're supposed to do. But then we forget that Paul is writing to a whole church. It's the whole church he's addressing. It's like all of you put on the spiritual armor. All of you are involved in this battle. Everyone at Horizon put on the spiritual armor. You don't fight alone. Those Roman soldiers, the, the, the smallest fighting unit, a cohort of 12 men, they spent their time together. When they were out in the field, they camped in close connection with one another. They ate together. They didn't go down to a mess hall. There was no such thing for the Roman army. Those little cohorts were given a, a stipend. They were responsible for purchasing food, preparing the food, and eating the food. So they did all that work together. Imagine the closeness that they developed over the course of time when you're doing everything together. The band of brothers. You begin not just fighting for yourself. Now you're fighting for the guy next to you. And they fought in close connection with one another, literally shoulder to shoulder, those 12 men, they would either be three or four, four across and three or four deep, rubbing shoulders together. They were so close that you had to be right-handed if you were in a Roman soldier. If not, they would make you right-handed. You didn't put the scabbard and your sword on your left side and draw it out with your right hand because you were so close to the next guy you could injure your fellow soldier. The scabbard was on the right side and you pulled it out like this to fight. When the flaming arrows of the enemy came, they could take their shields, these big two-foot by four-foot shields, and they would lift them over their heads to intercept those arrows. They were so close to one another that their shields literally interlocked one with the other. It was a formation that they called the turtle because that's exactly what it looked like, a turtle shell. They were in it together. And so Paul says that in spiritual warfare, don't forget the fact that you're in it together. You are to pray prayers that are relational prayers. 
You see, the enemy wants to isolate us. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, prowls around seeking whom he may devour. The lion never attacks the herd. It always attacks the stray. He wants to isolate you. Isolate you from other believers in the body of Christ. Isolate you from connection. Isolate you from fellowship. Isolate you from relationship. Because when he has you isolated, he has you defeated. Mark it down. That's why at Man in the Mirror, when one of the strategies, we want to get men connected in small groups around the Word of God because when you can connect men in that kind of a connection who come together frequently, they develop bonds. They begin to open up, begin to share, begin to understand one another's needs and burdens and concerns and battles, and they begin to pray for one another and help one another in their walk with God. And Paul says that we are to pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. And that word request, it means this. It's a petition on behalf of another. He goes on to say, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Stand your guard. That soldier who was on post, who stood his guard, wasn't just looking to defend himself. He was looking to defend every single soldier that was part of the camp. It was mutual protection. And Paul says that's how your prayers ought to be, so that you're praying not just for yourself, praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, those who, who are struggling, those who are going through battles, those who, who need prayer. We lift them up before God because we're praying not just for us, but for them. Are you praying for one another? Truly praying for one another. Are you close enough to one another that you really do know what the needs are? You know what the concerns are? You know what the battles are? Paul demonstrates prayer for one another in verse 19. He says, pray also for me. Now think about that. He's the Apostle Paul. <laughs> He's the greatest Christian that ever walked the face of the earth, hands down. And he's saying, uh, we're talking about prayer. I want you to know something. I need some prayer. They say, what, you? Paul, you're Paul. He says, yeah, but I need prayer. And, and you see Paul's transparency and vulnerability come out as he prays. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, again, put it in his context. Paul's not penning these words in his office. He's penning them in prison, a Roman prison. Dark, dank, cold, miserable. He calls himself here an ambassador in chains. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And when he prays, Mindful this condition in which he is living at the moment, he prays, doesn't pray for his safety, doesn't pray for his comfort, he doesn't pray for his deliverance from his circumstances, he doesn't pray for anything for himself. When Paul prays here, the prayers that he's asking are prayers for kingdom purposes, that I may declare the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. 
That's how Paul prayed. Kingdom purposes. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, some of these very same people. The last opportunity that he would have to see them face to face and they gathered together and they prayed together. And in the course of that, he says this. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task, the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And here he is a couple of years later in that Roman prison doing that same thing. You want to pray purposeful prayers? Then seek to live out God's purpose for your life. Discover your gifts and use them. Find a ministry that you can get involved with and get involved. Share the Lord Jesus with others. Put him first in your life. Make your life count for Jesus Christ. And as you do that, your life will be infused with purpose that will move you to pray. Prayers that are spiritual prayers. Prayers that are continual prayers. Prayers that are relational prayers. Because as you do that, you want to help others around you to do the very same thing. So if you sense your prayer life is going around in circles, you're like at the dinner table chasing her tail. Maybe what you lack is purpose in prayer. Paul gives us that. We're in a spiritual battle. We need to pray. We need to pray prayers that are spiritual prayers, prayers that are continual prayers, prayers that are relational Let's pray. Father, impress upon us the truths of your word this morning. May we be people who live lives with purpose, who will also pray lives with purpose. May we be people who pray spiritual prayers, continual prayers, relational prayers. Lord, we need that in the church today. We need to be a praying people. Oh Lord, show us the power that comes through purposeful prayers. Impress upon us how much we need you from day to day that would move us to pray. May we pray for one another. I ask for your blessings upon the congregation here at Horizon. That, Lord, your hand would be upon each and every one. May they put on the full armor of God from day to day. May they pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. May they be alert and always. As we are deep in our prayers, may you do that for this congregation. May you do that for your honor and your glory and your praise. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for coming. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I was blessed today. How about you? Amen? Amen. See you next week, and have a great week.